0: going to add
1: my couple of uh, words of appreciation. I want to express also um, a deep and profound um, gratefulness I have to God for the devoted people who are involved in the ministry of outreach yesterday. And and again, I think it's done in such a way that I don't, it's obvious that there's not an intention on anyone's part to uh, get their own own, uh, glory out of it. It clearly is focused at trying to point others to Christ, and um, just appreciate all the different dimensions of the hard work of planning and decorating and food preparation and serving. It was just a, a beautiful thing to see our church working together. And if you're here and you were there at the event yesterday and you're somewhat new to our church, I hope you'll feel welcomed. We're not here to in any way put pressure on you. We're here to point you to Christ and we're here to answer questions, to help you, to pray for you. And so uh, it's a privilege to have you uh, here in that way. I also want to just thank people that serve us every week. I want to thank the Starks for their ministry and helping us with our sound and recording. And for Stephen who helps us with our projection. When we are able to do these kind of things that we do, sometimes you forget there are people who are helping us and serving us in that way. So we give thanks to God for them as well. Let's pray. Lord, uh, all of us are not independent beings. We are dependent creatures made to rely upon you and to lean on you, to find help from you, and who need help and assistance very much, especially in understanding and applying your word In our lives. So, Lord, uh, we ask your Holy Spirit to guide us as we look into your word this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pilots fly airplanes in the dark, pitch dark. They fly airplanes through the clouds, no problem. But try landing a plane in foggy conditions. Reduced visibility near a runway calls for some form of assistance for pilots. Rather than relying on a pilot's limited visual perspective, aviation experts have come up with some amazing technology and with this brilliant uh, instruments that work together in such uh, harmony. It's called an instrument instrument Landing System, ILS. So you know you're going to learn about that today, did you? ILS, Instrument Landing System. Some of you are already like, oh boy, he's putting me to sleep already. Stay with me. Stay with me. Simply put, this technology is sort of like an electronic ramp, giving instruction to the pilot who cannot see very well where he's going, to help them understand a precise pathway, keeping him on line with this direction going forward to making sure he's not going this way or this way, though the, 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 uh, the, the landing is there, so the, that's where he needs to go. And also he has a certain indicator as to what level he is so he'll know how ele- what kind of elevation he should be and getting him to where he's down in the proper height as he approaches the runway. Now you say, that's a little complicated. Well, it is, but think about it. You don't want a pilot to rely on his limited perception of reality at that moment. Because he can't see. All he sees is white fog. He's relying on those indicators in the cockpit. And that's what a a pilot has to do. He has to be trained in order to do that kind of follow those kinds of instrumentation and to be um, sort of get an instrument rating, they call it, so that he can land a plane in foggy conditions. And he's taught not to rely on his own intuition. He's taught not to rely on his subjective feelings when he's landing that plane, because he may think, you know, I think I've done this long enough. I think I'm about ready there. Let's just touch it down. You don't want the pilot to do that by his feelings. You want him to do it according to the instruments that are in front of him. Now, here's my... Tie over here. What are we to do when the flight plan of life brings us into low-lying fog, the fog of troubles, the fog of affliction, the fog of confusion, or sadness, or aggravation, and frustration, or pain? When we're tempted to question the divine planner who is in the control tower because of all of the confusion around us and difficulty of trying to see where we're going and how to make it through all that, do you sometimes struggle when God is guiding you into these conditions that are hard to navigate through life? What do you do? How do you respond? I think oftentimes when we're suffering, when we're longing for some sort of change to happen in life, we easily can become confused, disoriented, just like a pilot at the controls. At those moments, it's easy to make moral judgments about God. It's easy to draw conclusions about God. And we base those conclusions about what we think His character is like based on our past experiences this happened back then, so therefore I've drawn this conclusion about God. Or, this is happening now, therefore I draw a conclusion about God. Or, something's going we think something should have happened in our past and didn't happen, and therefore I've drawn a conclusion about God. Some of us, perhaps, are still waiting. We haven't made up our minds about God. We're waiting for God to bring about change. Some of us have prayed and prayed and prayed and Nothing's changed. How do we make sense of God when we feel like we're flying blindly and we're filled with dreading, we're dreading the, the assumption that somehow the plane of our lives is about to crash land and we're really desperate to see God help us. Now, my question to you this morning is, are you focused mostly at looking or gazing into the fog around you as you make that approach, try to land your life into some good outcome? Or are you looking for help from like an ILS, from the instrument landing system of God's written word? What I'd like to suggest is that for some of us, I realize we're facing a situation perhaps of confusion. There's a fog of confusion over us. It's weighing over you. It's all around you. You can't seem to get away from it. It faces maybe it's your job. It's uncertain. Maybe it's your health that's been characterized now by various forms of chronic pain or different diagnoses that are not sort of giving you final answers and you're left with all sorts of questions. Maybe it's your financial health as you realize it's, critically, it's in a critical condition. Others of us may be facing a sort of a fog of sadness that just drags us down. We're, we're depressed heading into the holidays and it's settled over your soul. You can't seem to shake it. For others of us, maybe it's a fog of frustration. You're angry. Inside, you're sort of burning. There's a sense of which your plans have been hijacked. The things that you always dreamed that were going to happen in your family have not happened, and you're ticked about it. Some of the choices that your kids make, maybe the choices that your spouse made who's walked away from you, the dreams you had for your marriage, the dreams you've had for your family, the dreams that someday you want to enter into marriage, and that has not happened. And all you see is fog. Well, during this Advent season, I want you to invite you to take your assumptions, whatever you've been assuming about God and conclusions you've drawn about God that you've developed in those times in which you have been trying to navigate in the fog of life. You've had to steer the plane of your life into all these thick clouds. I want to urge you to consider flying by the ILS, the Instrument Landing System of God's Word. This morning I want to direct your attention to the book of James. Not too often preached on in Advent series, but that's where I'm headed this year. We're going to bounce around in different texts. But if you'll find the gospel, oh, sorry, the, the book of James, page 13, 1434, excuse me, 1434, James 1. And listen to what he says here. We're not going to consider all of this, but a good portion of it. James, the bondservant of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother of humble means, humble circumstances, excuse me, glory in his high position. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like a flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So, too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of God's will, he brought this forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Now, do you notice as we read through that passage, it started off with an acknowledgement that the people to whom James was writing, in a sense, we could say they were like you and me, they were flying through clouds of suffering, clouds of hardship. And trials and interestingly enough James is giving them an admonition he warns them verse 16 be careful that you're going to be deceived be careful that you're going to be tricked be careful that you're not going to be thinking clearly and accurately as you're trying to navigate through this time of being tested and trials in your life as we fly through thick clouds of affliction it's easy to become disoriented as I said it's easy to become confused about God. and Perhaps you've never fully embraced Christianity and you're here today and you're saying, well, I've heard a lot or I've heard some about Jesus. I've heard a little bit about what the Bible says about this and that, but you have been holding back and not willing to consider further issues of Christianity because you struggle with how God you felt like has been dealt with you in the past. And your view of life has been clouded by struggles and heartaches. And it's left you in a perpetual situation in which you have poor spiritual visibility. You can't see beyond those clouds. Instead of trying to figure God out while you're navigating through these darkness of night or the fog of affliction, I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your mind to the reliable instruments of God's Word. Hear this passage in James chapter 1. It refers to trials and testings. Indeed, we all go through them. Christianity does not promise some sort of life that's devoid of problems and difficulties and trials. Even Jesus endured all sorts of suffering and trials. None of us immune, is immune to struggles or suffering. And so the question is this having gone through them or, ha- or going through them now, how do you answer these questions? Is God uncaring about the struggles and difficulties you face? Is He stingy about offering help? Is He indifferent? Can He be relied upon? Is He inconsistent and unreliable? And is He willing to help occasionally, sometimes, sometimes? I'd like to look at this text and answer some of those questions. And first of all, notice that God delights in constantly giving good gifts. God constantly gives good gifts and he delights in doing so. Imagine if you were to think about the life of, a, let's say, a small girl who's been born and her father is disconnected from her pretty much all the time. And the only time this little girl ever hears from her father is at Christmas. And the only contact at Christmas is he sends a box, and in the box are a number of gifts that he has picked out, toys and clothes and whatever, maybe some kind of sweet treats. And as the girl gets excited, she opens the box, and she's thrilled to see these things are in there. She realizes it's from her father. But wouldn't you imagine after a while that when she opens that box year after year, that little girl is yearning for more than what's in that box. She's yearning for more than just a a once-a-year act of kindness. Once-a-year gifts don't take the place of daily help. They don't take the place of love and true assistance throughout the different 364 days of the year. See, it's one thing to be helpful and generous once a year, But we need help from God all year round, 24-7, 365. And if you think about it, when you think about this passage here in James, look at verse 17. In a sense, James is saying, no matter what kind of fog you're in, on that instrument panel in front of you is an indicator that God is generous. He gives good gifts, not occasionally, but constantly. Now, you may not pick that up in the translation here, but verse 17, it uses the phrase coming down. Coming down is a present tense verb idea there. So that God's gifts, he's saying, don't come occasionally. They come constantly. They come constantly. God continually sends us gifts to enjoy. First Timothy chapter 6 we read that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Can you look around your life today and say I see a number of God's good gifts in my life? For some of you it's your pet dog that licks you in the face, right? It's your cat or whatever. It's your the things that you drink every day, having plenty of, of water and, and uh, things that you consume to, to quench your thirst. It's the delicious food. It's friends and family. It's, it's the fact that we in our culture have access to libraries where you can borrow all kinds of stuff and bring it right back and use it and not have to even pay for it. It's amazing. God's gifts are, are good. First Timothy 4 says, Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. God's ILS system is telling you that there's an abundance of good gifts that God has richly supplied you with. Are you aware of that in front of you as you're navigating through life? James goes on to say that God is the Father of lights. Now, the word father here means the the source of, the originator, the one who has brought them about. And so he's saying that God is really the the originator or the creator of all of the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. Now, how many of you noticed that the days are getting shorter this time of year? Are we not aware of that? Some of us are rather discouraged about that and uh, don't like it, but it happens, guess what, every year. Now, why is that? How is it that when I sit at my breakfast table, I can see, look out the window, and I say, the sun is over here in the summer, comes up over here. But in the winter, the sun comes up over here. And it doesn't seem to last as long. What that's saying is that the earth is rotating around the sun at a certain angle, and that things change because it is the same. The sun is not moving. It's the earth moving around there in its pattern that God has set. And with us, he says, there's lots of change going on around us when the shadows will lengthen, the shadows will shorten, the shadows will disappear, depending on what time of day it is. There's lots of changes, but God does not change. He's saying that God consistently is bestowing good gifts. You can count on that, no matter how thick the fog is in your life. Secondly, notice that the text also said that God's gift-giving is dependable. Dependable. Some people assume that over time, God changes. He has seasons which He alternates between being generous, He gives good gifts here, but you know then there's a season of life where, Nuh-uh. he's a lot of stingy, and don't expect too many gifts from Him at that point. Now, it's true that People change and situations with people change in terms of their gifts. I, I, we have an amazing uh, reflection the other day. My wife and I were talking about Christmas gifts and we were talking about the memory of the year that my, wife's, my mother-in-law died, 1995. Um, it was in the last day of June she died. By that time in her life, she had already purchased gifts for our children and she had already wrapped them for Christmas and put their names on there. And what we found astonishing was that that we didn't know that at the time, but uh, at Christmas, Joyce's dad came and joined us at Christmas. Here he is uh, grieving as a widower, and he brought these gifts that she had purchased with those names on it. It was a a very emotionally, obviously, uh, amazing gift, a memorable one. But at that point, that was the last gifts from Mimi to her grandkids. Things change. People are here, people are not here. But let's think about God. He's dependable. God is consistently generous. You and I could count on God. Is that on your instrument panel as you navigate through the fog of life? Now, at this point, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, if God is so generous, If God is continually giving good gifts, why is my life like that airplane that's in that holding pattern, circling over, waiting, 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 never seems to ever touch down, waiting for the fog to lift? Why is my life going from one form of trouble to another, to another, and to another? Well, here's a helpful reminder. God is wise, and he knows when to give gifts. And here's the key phrase that I came up with. God knows the best way to accomplish the most good in your life and mine. God knows the best way to accomplish the most good in your life and mine. Now, of course, you have to define what is the most good. Most good for us, not on the same page with God's most good, right? His his goal is to make us holy. Our goal is to be happy. And His gifts are always sufficient. God's gifts are always sufficient. Think with me about Paul's experience. I'm going to go back now to an example of Paul's life. He's, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes the unbelievable gift that God gave him, a gift that you and I, I don't think we're probably ever going to have this gift in this world, but Paul was given this gift in which he had a vision of heaven. Now, this is not a die and go to heaven and write a book about it, crazy scenario. This is truly a vision of heaven. And Paul says there were things that he saw, things that he was heard that were inexpressible. He's not even able to talk about it. But imagine being given that privilege. And as we read through the text, you begin to sort of wonder, if God gave him that gift and that privilege, does that mean that Paul's life going forward then was so easy and that therefore he had no turbulence, if it were, in his life? He was spared all difficulties and all pain because what an amazing amount of gifts God's been given this guy. If you look at verse 7, of that chapter, chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that is his his vision to see heaven, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. You say, well, how do you put those two together? He's given a vision, but he's also been given a thorn in the flesh. To buffet me, it says. To keep me from exalting myself. Do you ever think that one of the things that God is giving you in your life is designed to humble you? To make you rely on him? To teach you to pray more? To teach you to read the word more? to teach you how much you need to rely and depend on Him and how much you need Him? Now, it's not clear what this thorn in the flesh was. There were all kinds of thoughts about what it may or may not be. But Paul urgently asked God, not once, not twice, three times, he's pleading with God to remove it from his life. That's how miserable it was. Did God, again, at this point, give him a trouble-free life? At that point, say, okay, I heard that, I heard that prayer, so no more trouble. The fog clears out. No. God gave him instead an all-sufficient gift for that situation he was facing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I hope you've got it underlined in your Bible somewhere. God gave him grace. His grace. His help. Paul says that Jesus made him aware and said, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. That's the message he got. That my power is going to help you when you're weak and when you're dealing with suffering and when the fog is, is making it difficulty. I'm going to help you navigate and landing the plane of life at times, wherever you need to. He says, therefore, Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul perceived the idea that the sufficient grace was what he needed for the trial he was going through because God was going to do something in his life ultimately for good. Did you know that God stands ready to give you gifts this Advent season? Are you weak? Are you weary? Are you running on empty? Do you need help? Here's another promise you ought to write down and make sure it's part of that system that operates the instruments in front of you, the ILS system now, is God will generously provide you all you need. This is Second Corinthians 9.8. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. What a promise. Second Corinthians 9, eight. Now, I've included in your notes in the back of your sermon, the words of a hymn that I think is one of the greatest hymns dealing with this topic, written by Annie Johnson Flint. I don't have time to tell you her whole story, but the, but the words indicate, again, she's, she is focusing and reflecting on the fact that God is going to give me what I need. He gives me the gifts I need. And this woman, Mrs. Flint, or, or Miss Flint, I should say, uh, her story is a sad one. Uh, she was about three years of age when her younger sister was born and her mother died right after the birth of that other sister. So she has no mother at three years of age. Her father couldn't handle the two girls. His health began to decline. He gave those two kids off in good faith to a widow that he knew who also had other children. He thought that would be a good move. That woman did not welcome those children at all. She treated them in a very cruel and a very... Uh, unwelcoming way, I guess you'd say. And so these poor girls were dealing with all of that rejection and a neighbor who was a believer had compassion on these girls, saw what their situation was like, got more involved in their lives, and eventually became the real mother, the adoptive mother for these two girls. Fast forward, you go through uh, Annie Flint's life and come to find out Uh, As she was teaching and doing some things in her life, her her health declined in a rather rapid way due to different forms of arthritis that crippled her. I mean, back then, they didn't have any medications for her. She just, she could hardly even move. The pain was intense every day. And she's the one writing these words, talking about there's grace for every day, there's strength for every day. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't just need strength. I'm confused. I need something to help provide me with guidance. I need wise counsel for my circumstances. I don't feel comfortable moving forward with fog around me. Well, I want you to consider also in this first chapter of James, God delights to give good gifts, and that includes the gift of Wisdom. Did you find that? In verse 6, 5, and 6, chapter 1 of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask in faith. Ask in faith. Now, let me just say the obvious here. God is not promising to give you answers. He's not promising to give you explanations for why everything is the way it is, and what will happen to you. No, wisdom is referring to the skill in living God's way. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom involves applying God's word to your everyday life. It's taking the instrument reading on the front of the cockpit, ILS system, and it's saying, okay, in light of that, now you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to adjust over here, you need to adjust over here. It helps you navigate through life. Matter of fact, 2 Peter says that God has generously given to His children everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's in the Word of God. God's revealed to us all we need to know to live a godly life, to navigate through life in this fallen, sinful world. And when you ask God for wisdom, you can be sure that God is not going to what? He's not going to scold you for asking. And he's not going to say, well, it's about time you asked. That's not the way God deals with that. That's what James is saying. God's not like that. God is ready to give you wisdom unreservedly, liberally, generously. Yes, I'd love to give you wisdom. And there's a wealth of wisdom in the Word of God for those who will draw it out and read it, and think about it, apply it, and as our brother Ralph said, who will memorize it, and have it locked in their memory and in their heart when they need it. That brings me to my one final thought I want to draw from this text in James 1. It has to do with verse 18. I find it amazing that James would include this, having talked to people who were suffering, having talked to people who were perhaps uh, not doing so well in life, and those who are doing very well in life, and he says, okay, there's lots of things you need to think about, but he says, verse 18, he says, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we may be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. What's he talking about here? I want to show you how I feel like this text I believe, unpacks for us this last concept about God giving a good gift, the gift of a new beginnings. The gift of new beginnings. The Bible again and again reminds us what we know to be true, whether we want to admit it or not, and that is that when we sin, when we break God's laws, there are negative consequences. It means there is death. There is a a separation that comes between us and God. Verse 15 of James 1, when, when, uh, when we sin, It brings forth death. Our mind is affected by this kind of sin. And we foolishly think, as we sin and as we go our own way, that we know better than God. It's easy to slip into this way of, of, of viewing what's going on with our reality. And I think the insights from Luke 15 are amazing when Jesus gives the prodigal son parable. And he talks about, we, like that son... We think our ways are better than the one who brought us into the world. So we reject living under God's loving authority, just like that prodigal son refused to live under the loving authority of his father. And we refuse to serve and love God. We, refuse, we choose to go our merry way. And in time, we begin to see the consequences of our choices. As we turn away from God and turn and go our own way, there's misery that accompanies us. There's there's all sorts of emptiness in our lives. We are living a hollow existence, never really for the true reason of why we're here, to love and enjoy God and glorify Him. And we have no lasting joy, no lasting peace. And don't forget this. God, nonetheless, still delights to give good gifts, even when we've turned and gone our own foolish way. Jesus Christ the son of God was rejected when he came so that we might be accepted. It is Jesus Christ who was cut off so that we might be welcomed by the father we turned away from. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the death we deserved. He was raised from the dead and he was made it made very clear that Jesus accomplished completely that payment of sin. That, should have, that was needed to pay for our sin. It was made very obvious it was successfully done when he was raised from the dead. And when we read in Luke 15, the parable that Jesus taught about this prodigal son, there comes a point in the story where the prodigal son gets to the point where he says, he came to his senses. What's that mean? I think that means in the fog of his life, he began to look at the panel in front of him, the instrument panel, showing him here's where you need to follow. This is what you need to do next. And he took that step of humbling himself. Realizing that what? He he realized he no longer had any status with his father. He had cut all of his ties with his father. He had completely rejected him, saying, I wish you were dead, not alive. He was an outcast. He was dead to his father. He deserved no longer to be called the child of his father. But he repented he had a change of heart, a change of attitude. He now regretted and felt grief and sorrow over all that he did. And so he went back to his father to work as the father's slave, a hired person. That's it. What an amazing gift met him on his way back home. The welcome of that father who represents God, the merciful, gracious, forgiving God. He ran to this lost son he hugged him repeatedly kissing him over and over and over can you just see that in your mind and before the son could even say the words i have sinned against god and i have sinned against you the father told the servants listen bring the best robe put it on this son of mine And put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. What's he saying in all those symbols? The Father is giving him new status. The father is saying, Listen, this dearly, this person who rejected me no longer my son, now he is my dearly loved son and he's forgiven. He's given a new identity. He's clothed with the righteousness of Christ, no longer clothed with rags of shame and tattered rags of a rebel and all of his past history of what now follows him everywhere he goes he's now clothed with the righteousness of Christ and the sandals that are given to him indicates that what sandals were not worn by servants he's now been raised up to the full status of being a dearly loved son of that father the ring symbolized authority new privileges are granted to him what's the point have you gone astray Are you left in a fog of your own figuring out what is going to happen in your life? God stands ready to give you the greatest gift. Adoption, sonship, new life with new status, new identity, new privileges. Don't doubt for one moment that God will give to anyone who repents these gifts unimaginable gifts. Gifts that come from His gracious heart and from His forgiving spirit and love. What are you following today? Does the instrument panel in your life saying you need to come and realize there, is much, there are much gifts God has for you? Or are you going to just sort of blindly try to navigate through the fog of your life And miss out on those gifts. Let's pray. I want you to think about what it is that you're facing in your life today. What kind of fog is preventing you from moving forward? And what is God trying to say to you today? Have you realized that you have a wrong and an erroneous and accurate view of God, that you've drawn the wrong conclusion about God and what He's like and where He is, that He's somewhere far, far away, disinterested, with no love for you, with no hope and no help for you? I'm calling all of us today to repent of our wrong thinking, of the idols of our own imaginations, And to come to Christ, follow the clear leading of His Word as your ILS. That you would follow His guidance according to the Scriptures. That you would receive the gifts that He has for you. He's generous. Maybe you need wisdom. Maybe you need a new beginning. Maybe you need the gift of His grace to help you, encourage you, and the gift of His love. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts before you today that we may not be a people who continue on in our life left in the fog of our own problems our own thinking our own struggles trying to handle things on our own lord i pray that you would help us to follow the clear instruments of your word understanding who you are based on what the scriptures say not how we feel or our intuition and may we respond accordingly to this, to this truth, we pray. In Christ's name I ask it. Amen.